On today's episode, Dave interviews Bernadette Burkett. Bernadette is an award-winning actress who's been on Cheers, The Larry Sanders Show, It's Gary Shandling Show, Taxi, The Jeffersons, and St. Elmo's Fire. Bernadette is the wife of George Went and is a Second City alum and a member of Off the Wall Improv Group. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. Um, like skills, if you will. Like my dad was a metallurgist, mm-hmm. and uh, and they. Indiana was booming and all of these small manufacturing companies were booming and then before the end of the 50s my father's opened his business he had worked for another company doing exactly this and then he opened his business in 1953 by 1963 a significant amount of those productions were overseas like Japan? Japan. Right. Japan, uh, South Korea, mm-hmm. the Philippines. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, just be, but we had had protectionist uh, um, rules employed before that. Right. And then they suddenly they relaxed. Those. I think they were they relaxed, relaxed probably because they wanted to help these countries get back on their exactly. feet. Exactly. And that's what happened with Japan. Right. We, we sent the most brilliant, uh, you know, industrialist to Japan, who had really, the things went leaps and bounds. So much technology evolved during World War II. I mean, right. it's phenomenal. Right. And that all of that technology was then employed in helping Japan get back on its feet. Japan, Germany, uh, all of these other countries that had been our enemies during World War II. And so, yes, you win the war, but in some ways, you lose the commitment to the kind of integrity that had been owned by these American craftsmen. Right, it was the backbone of the middle class. Exactly, exactly. And and nowadays, I, I see this happening with actors, too. The idea of not... It's not that you're not looking forward to... Are you aware of what's going on in your life? That's the question. Are you mindful of the the business practices that are happening? I look at the contracts that actors have, right. SAG, AFTRA, and what went uh, uh, down with, uh, with with cable, right. and now with the internet, and right. looking at all those things for us to say, you know what? I don't think, and I'm, I'm not saying that. Yes, we can we can help out these other countries, but right now I'm looking at our livelihood, the livelihood right. of actors really being compromised in a way, and I think mo- a lot of it is because we're not asking questions. Well, I think that that's true. I, I, uh, in some respects, I think nobody really wants to rock the boat because people feel that if you are too squeaky a wheel, then you can easily be replaced. Right. And there has been this so, such paranoia about reality television and then and, and guerrilla production for instance all of this stuff on the internet right. and whatever and the paranoia is that the value of the artist is diminished by this just uh, random open pool it's the same thing that journalists face where George did this wonderful George Wendt, your husband. My husband, yeah. yeah. He did this wonderful thing for Portlandia, mm-hmm. uh, uh, where he was the editor of a newspaper that gets bought out by a, a bigger conglomerate, like uh, Rupert Murdoch or whatever, and they're going to make it digital. And he has this great integrity as the editor of this newspaper for, for journalism. And they say, no, 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 don't worry about that. We only care about the number of hits it gets. Right. The number of tweets it gets, the number of hits that a story is um, uh, Shirley Theron wears Spanx, right? And that got a million hits. Right. Now that's the that's the story. That's what you're looking for. And this is a joke, but this is real. And you know, we saw this predicted in Network. Yes, Matt is Helen can't take it anymore. And, but right? but also the reality show right. that they oh, go yeah. off. Right. They're shooting right. this group that's supposed to be like the weathermen. Right. And they get inside of it, and they're talking to this woman who's like, 
she's like an Angela Davis exactly, sort a of big person. black lady. And she's like going, well, I would just want to know about my contract and how this is going to go <laughs> right. for me and what's this going to happen? What's going to happen with this in the future? And that is, I mean, you, it, it's like any other science fiction, but here it is, Patty Chayefsky right. telling us exactly what's going to happen. And at the head of all of this is the, this devious corporate executive. Right. Who right. It sits, sits in this like uh, cathedral-like space right. and dictates what's going to happen. Is that, uh, is that um, uh, Ned Beatty? Yes, yeah, that's Ned, Ned Beatty. Beatty. And he has almost this uh, <laughs> religion. He's like, he's like a charismatic uh, uh, televangelist. Absolutely, he's God. He is. And the way that they, the way that that whole scene was set up with your screwing with the forces of nature, Mr. Exactly. Beale, and to look at that, and I think that people watching that movie now would go, yeah, so what? But I remember sitting in the front row at the Eden's Theater. We couldn't; it was so packed, and we sat in the front row, and I'm watching this thing. And we sat in the front row. You know, I was 16 or 17. Mm -hmm. We sat in the front row because you couldn't get seats, and so this big grand movie was a bigger grand movie because yeah, of where, yeah, yeah. My, where I was sitting and my special relationship to that. But we laugh about it. I know. But, we, but it's not but it, laughable. No, I mean, it is so, it has such uh, prescience. I mean, he's pretty amazing, Patty Well, Chayefsky. it's also that movie, with the casting of that movie was just phenomenal, well, too. Well, perfect. Well, Sidney um, Lumet is a pretty, was a pretty brilliant director. The woman who played, um, what's his name's wife? It was... Uh, Beatrice... Yes. Uh, she won the Academy Award yes, for she Best did. Supporting. And she has, like, literally two scenes. I know. The one scene of her sitting at the kitchen table. Yeah. Two scenes. Two scenes. The That's one right. scene of, I get chills. Yeah. The one scene of her sitting at the kitchen table when William Holden is telling her, you know, and she's, going, she's asking, are you in love with her? Are mm -hmm. you in love with her? Just tell me if you're in love with her. Right. And who, you know, ugh, who hasn't had that experience yeah. where you go, and to watch William Holden go, I suppose I am. And you go, oh my God, what, did you just say that? Did and you just say, I suppose I am? The truth of that. Yeah. And, to, and I look at that scene and I think, what, I go back to improvisation as acting. When we're improvising, are we looking at a scene like that and going, I'm going to get in trouble. I want my character to get in trouble. Uh -huh. And so I'm going to say, I suppose I am. As opposed to, we're always trying to put something off. So when we're looking at TV, I'm going off a little bit, uh -huh, but when we're looking okay. at a movie and that movie is saying, this character is getting into this situation where normally we would veer off to the com comfortable. Right. right now he is going to g veer off into it. Right. And the way that she was directed in that movie to, I don't know if she was directed, she brought a lot of it to herself, right. but just how calm she was. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and that's so much uh, more uh, uh, powerful than if the, than rage. Right. That's right. a pretty powerful uh, uh, point in the movie. I mean, and here he is involved with this producer. Faye Dunaway. Faye Dunaway, who is, re represents the most detached. And the basic, and the, ba the, and, and the most base. Yeah, exactly. Such base. Yeah. The, the great manipulator. Right. Who just goes, like, she, she has orgasms quickly, she, she acts like a man, she talks like a right, man, there's, right. nothing, there's nothing in that movie. Right, exactly. That's, she barely looks at him. Right. And it, and and that was in that scene too. Is yeah, she yeah, in yeah. love with? Are you in love with her? And it's like I don't know anything about her. He essentially said, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. she's just she's she's of a generation that I don't know. I don't right. understand that. Right. That movie is profound. Yeah, yeah. And you know, you think about uh, um, how inundated we are with just the voices of of our phones, of our TV. A couple of people have done, like, recent, you know, Louis C.K. did this piece about your cell phone. It's really not that important to talk to that many people. And, and you know, on my way here, I'm, like, trying. I left my glasses at home, so I can't see a bloody thing. So I'm trying to get Siri to guide me. <laughs> she couldn't, she didn't know what Norton meant. And I can see because she can, Siri can only see the Paramount Studio. She can't see Norton. Right. She was trying to get me to Broadway. No, Siri, are you kidding me? But 
But you can't argue with Siri. No. There's no arguing with Siri. Uh, But um, at one point, I was driving around with my daughter, and, you know, we're looking for, like, in Kansas City, looking for some nail place. And uh, and, Siri is on. I go, go to hell, Siri. And Siri goes, "Uh, goodbye would be more polite. That she heard. That she heard. Exactly. So, That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess you have to be careful of not to hurt Siri's feelings. Oh, my God. Well, she, you know, first off, i got to tell you that Siri's cousin, the Google lady, the Google lady's got it together. I don't know if you ever used the Google uh, lady. I don't use the Google lady, but I, I wonder who the Google lady I'd really like is. to meet the Google lady. You know who's really good is the way. Have you done Waze? No. Uh-uh. Waze is another app, and Waze is the old Siri, because the oh. new Siri is a different Siri, but the old Siri is now the voice of Waze, and oh. Waze will show you the Waze. It will show you the Waze. <laughs> Remember that? It will show you the Waze because what should, what they'll, what that app does is, if it's crowded, it will guide you to another. If it's backed up, it will guide you another oh. way. And so, oh well, the way, maybe it's uh, more uh, tied into uh, current traffic. That's what it is. Because Siri crowded. doesn't, Siri doesn't know, and and maps. Google Maps or, or certainly the iPhone map doesn't have a clue of what's no, going on. No, this way is thing. I cannot recommend it enough. Okay. It is. But it I, is a good I thing. don't have a bunch of apps on my phone. I, I like to be keep things as simple as possible, off and on. That's it. I like that. Uh, my girlfriend hasn't turned her phone off in six years. Well, well. I don't know. I turn my phone off all the time. I have a bunch of phone calls and a bunch of texts that I missed when I was. What's the point of going to yoga if your phone's going off? Oh my god! Right. I mean, that's so rude. Oh right. Do you remember? And I was thinking about this because I fly a lot. Do you remember when there were? Of course you do. When there were phones on airplanes, and I think that went away. I never thought that would go away. I think. I wonder what that was. Uh, I. You know, I have no idea. It's interesting because it, it might be uh, it might be an expense thing, but I think it might have made way for the for the the uh, little iPad, the pads right. that you have, the screens that you have. There's yes. only so much room, and and I don't know how. I, I don't really know the technology of how it was, you know, how it was used, but it took up a lot of space. It did, and it cost a lot of money. Twenty dollars for a phone call. That's too expensive. That's too expensive. That's too and expensive. I also feel like. Can you be in the air without connecting with anybody? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, uh, it's really kind of a gift to be out of reach. I love, that's one of the things I love about traveling. Uh And yet, if I can't get internet access, I will. But I love the idea of, you cannot get me. I am am in this tube for three hours, five hours, an hour. And I'm going to Australia. We, you oh, were just how in, exciting! Yeah, I know. You were just in Ireland. Yeah, we got back a week ago Thursday. It took me about a week to get over the jet lag. How, though. how have things changed since the last time you were there? Because you performed, right? Yeah. How have things changed just in terms things of performance? Things have changed, uh, you know, uh, pretty dramatically. I mean, in the country because of the European Union, and also because they've gone through this patch of austerity, which was like draconian. It was crazy. And it's such a wrong way to go. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I have a big crush on Paul Krugman, who uh-huh, I read right. Monday, yeah, Wednesday, for the New York Times. Mo- Monday and Friday mm-hmm. in the New York Times. And he has been, you know, uh, a very open critic of uh, austerity. austerity. Uh, in any case, they're kind of back on their feet. But what has happened from the first, George and I did the first festival. The first Murphy's Cat. I think, were you there? I guess I think, I wasn't there the first time, but I do remember, I can't remember exactly, but I I think you were there, I was there. Who else was there? It was the the time that Phil Hartman was murdered. We were there then. That was was, uh, 90, we were there in 94 and 97. I think I was there in 97. Probably. They... In '97, we did a bu- we did not do a set show that we had done before mm-hmm. in the uh, in the Watergate Theater. The first year, we did a set Second City show. Uh-huh. It was a it was a, a company, and um, Fred came with us, and Joel Bloom came as our yeah, stage no. manager, and no. we did a full show. Uh-huh. And uh, and then the next year was the Murrays, 
and they did a set show. Right. They did, you know, the best of all of the Murray Brothers scenes. Right. And then the third year, when we came back, we just improvised all over. And we improvised with some of the uh, UK guys. They're mm -hmm. from That was this England. time. The, well, before, too. Mm -hmm. And and I, they had incorporated many of the games from Whose Line Is It Anyway? Mm -hmm. And Colin Mockery was with us, mm -hmm. and I think somebody else from Whose Line, American Whose Line. I didn't, I, yeah, I didn't do that that year. But Nia came, and Ian Gomez came, and we just did a bunch of different, you know, sort of a, a, an amalgam of different groups working together. Mm-hmm. I think Pat Finn came with us too, and George's nephew Jason Sudeikis came. Right. He did. He worked with us, and he also did stage managing things. It was like, and he hooked up with Kevin Dorf and met Tim Kazarinski and those. <laughs> and of course, now you know he's a big star. Right. He's a big star. Yeah, he is. He, I mean, he went. He grew up in Kansas City, which right. is where George is now. And then he moved after this thing. He moved to Chicago and. What they, George doing in Kansas City? He's doing a, a, a George, his sister Kathy and Jason, some charity event. Got it. I think Keckner is doing it oh, too. Oh right, I saw Rudd that. Right, I saw that advertisement. Yeah, 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 I saw that yeah. advertisement. It's amazing how Jason's career has what you know what's happened with him. Yeah, what a guy. He's he's just a lovely person. He and is. He he also has this, and I think it's true of of like where he grew up in Kansas City. There's this kind of, Paul Rudd has it too, mm -hmm. there's this kind of easy likability mm -hmm. about them. Mm -hmm. they, they're, they're not, they're generous performers, they're, you know, you can always be sure that you look good when you're working with right, them. Right. And that's a unique quality, I think. And it, it, yeah, I, it's, I think it's not a small part of where you grew up. Really. I think it's. I think it certainly is your community. It's your community. Uh, I, I look at the. I look at what we do at Second City, and I feel like, I'm always. I always felt protected. I always felt somebody was there to really help me and guide me through. Certainly, you get to a level. Well, because you're not a girl, Dave. I know. No, I'm joking. Uh, but that, but things were different when you were there, though. Oh my God, they were so so different. I mean, you know, the idea that there would be three women in a resident company would right. be just unthinkable. Uh, five men, yes. But how did you? Women, how, no. But how did you like back there? Didn't you go? This is wrong. Uh, well, or did you just say it was? It was de rigueur. It was just the way it was going. You know, well, some things I felt that way about. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, there was always this attitude that well, girls are okay, women are okay, but they're not there that funny. I mean, there she's funny, but for a woman. Right. And there's this like you don't have to excuse me. I don't need a disclaimer right. for what I bring to the table as, right. a, as an actor or whatever. And it's just like, and it was just something a force to be reckoned with. It had been a long tradition. I, you know, I, I'm sure that no one felt that way about Elaine May. Right. Right. By any or Barbara Harris or Barbara Harris. But Barbara Harris is a fabulous actor and is a terrific improviser. But I don't feel like she, I think, I think Elaine is an alpha mm -hmm. dog. Right. And, and I think Barbara is just a very skilled, intelligent, great player. Mm -hmm. I don't know, I mean, I don't really know enough of the history of it to know whether she is the initiator of the, that she's a perfect player, but whether she's the initiator of, of of like a scene, got it. The magic of the scene, got getting it. it off the ground. Right. Um, interesting. You know, I mean, I just don't know. That's and, really and that's interesting. Not, and that's something that was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, a, you know, if you're like putting ideas up on the board, mm -hmm. and that, and I think like, yeah, that yeah, that, yeah. You're a wife, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that that began to change, probably, you know, like with Eugenie, Ross Lemon. Yes. Pro and. And continued on. These I are mean, people that people don't know who she is. Well, they should. She's I know a they wonderful should. writer. I know. And she's a very yeah. funny person. And, right. But and, the fact that you're looking at her as someone that really opened things up. I, I do. And I yeah. think that no one questioned the fact that she brought uh, a lot to the table. That she wasn't just 
you know, a support. She wasn't just going to bring on a cake. Right. Right. Know, or a pie. Right. right. Or whatever. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. When so. I think about those sort of things, I think, would would Amy Sedaris just bring out a cake or a pie? Absolutely not. No, she would not. Like, all, like, like Tina, bring out a cake or a pie? And then looking at Fran Adams, would she no, bring out a cake or a pie? Uh, Ruthie Rudnick, no, would she bring no, out a cake? I mean, they, right? I, I say that, but it just is to, to be, you know, uh, kind of categorized or, or kind of, you know, you don't, necess- you don't necessarily have to be the archetypical woman. Right. You know, and, and then there was always the character woman and the attractive woman. You know, you can break those molds. And, and it's interesting when somebody did break those molds. Yeah. When, and, it was, and they brought, they broke those molds. I look at Jackie Hoffman, and she broke, you know Jackie. Yeah, right? of course. She broke, Jackie broke those molds because no one was going to tell her what to do exactly. or who she could be. Exactly. And no one was going to tell Amy Sedaris what she could be right. or who she was. And that, and I think that there was just in the larger zeitgeist an ability to accept that. A woman that one's satiric voice doesn't have to be locked into some sort of gender stereotype. And it's interesting too, just that the idea of being locked into locked into a gender stereotype, just as one would be locked into a, a business card definition of who you right, are. Exactly. And also the idea of what is gender? The question of what really is gender? Well, it's just a, it's just a category. Yeah, it is. When I was little. I did this thing with uh, Sherry uh, Steinkellner, Sherry Eichen, you know, Bill and uh-huh. Sherry. Uh, I did this workshop on Saturdays with Bill. Mostly it's uh, uh, Groundlings people, but it's people from different, you know, committee. And I, and Bill and Bill and Phyllis Katz both were it worked at, Bill was in a touring company at Second City, and they were both in Josephine's classes. In any case, this, this, in this workshop, um, they, uh, the, the groundlings thing, I always felt like there was this sort of a, 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 such a different style, uh, a different approach, you know, that we are, that we are. Second are, City people? Yeah. Our uh, club is, is more committed to the scene. The relationship. It's not about the relationship. The truth of the relationship. Not about discovering some character that is uh, unique in and of itself, but I mean, and and it was, it was a, a bit of a, an adjustment to for me to to find my balance working there, and then I just stopped thinking about it and just let myself have fun, and 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 the there's no like problem with the melding of the style, particularly right. since uh, Bill is. Is running this workshop, and right. he has enormous integrity for the for the work and for improvising. I, what you you said you said unique a character that's unique in and of itself. Yeah, which is just so interesting to me because that's what they do. Exactly. They they are talking about the character that is unique unto itself, yeah. not unto the relationship with the other character. Right. It's not, and it's not bound by some like uh, a social. Uh, not commentary, but but when we see scenes that we feel, you know, really uh, good about, if you do something, it is about the relationship and the, and the character that evolves through this process. Evolves. Evolves. Right. And, but it's the scene that matters. Right. It's what you remember. You go well. That's about you know, validating this relationship. Right. Or that's about losing control of your authority or whatever it is. Right. But it's not just, it's not, and I don't mean to say just, but but I always think of Paul Rubens, who's Pee Wee Herman. Right. And that character is that character. Right. And it stands apart. In and of itself. In and of itself. However, SCTV, those characters were really strong and many of them very broad but they were really integral integral to the this environment right. that they were from right that's SCTV oh interesting thing. right right they were in you you couldn't separate them no from, from that I think the interesting thing about that is and that's really I, I love that point is they're grounded in 
the place and they're also characters who are there and because of the love of the place and the commitment to the place that grounds them exactly. in, does that make sense yes so they just can't fly exactly. off somewhere and their characters are are, are like so interwoven to each other and right. they did that beautifully Right. Were you at Harold's memorial? No, I was. Oh. No, I was not. I was in oh. New York or, oh. or or Hawaii or it something. Was, it was. I was going to go. It was quite beautiful. Harold Ramis. And people mm. talked about him um, with such, uh, you know, just like such appreciation. I mean, they, you know, beyond that, he was just a mention. He was so kind, but that he was such a generous player, and that he listened with such. Uh, uh, commitment. Mm -hmm. He was not in his head. Right. He was in your heart. Exactly. I mean, and you know, Dell was my director when I was at Second City, and, and I close. never thought, yeah, uh -huh. and I never thought of him as being like this, you know, uh, exactly loving character. But no one would he ever says say this wonderful that. thing, though. <laughs> he says that you bring this kind of. You you bring you embrace the moment and the other player with this kind of love that doesn't exist outside. You embrace say that one more time. You you embrace your other player mm -hmm. in the moment of the scene with a kind of love that doesn't exist outside. Right. Your goal is you are present to make them look better. Right. That's your job. It's selfless. Exactly. And I think I don't look at. The groundlings is necessarily being selfless. Oh no, and 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 you're expected to produce things that are going to uh, be product. Be products. You know? Right. The more I think about this work, the more I think about just work in the life. Is it's not about product. It's about if you're going to say what the product is. For me, the product is the process. Exactly. The process is the product. Right. The fact that like let's not see the process as something as nothing, because right. it's all process. Right. It's interesting. Um, there was this interview with Viola. Uh, you can find it on YouTube. Where many people asked her about whose line is it anyway? Have you seen that? Uh, no, interview? I haven't seen that. And she said, the, or and comedy sports. Uh huh. Not whose line? Comedy sports, I think. Mm hmm. But, but she. One's connected to the other. Still, yeah. But they're all about winning. Mm -hmm. Right. They're all about a game. Right. So that it is not generous. Right. It's the opposite. Right. You have to... It, it, it's this kind of game, and it is not what she had in mind with the games at all. No. It is to be supportive and never uh, make someone else fail. You're I, not winning at someone else's failure. Right. I, I look at, uh, I mentioned this to somebody the other day, I said, um, yeah, Improv Olympic used to be very competitive, and they went, oh, no, 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 it's not. And I said, the name is Improv Olympic, and what they used to do was, they used to do heralds, and at the end of the, uh, the at the end of it, vote. vote and see who won. Which who team. Won, which team yeah, got the best yeah. herald. And they called them teams. Yes, exactly. And you had a coach. Which is interesting because David Shepard is, is you know, a non-competitive guy. David Shepard, who, who was one of the originators of exactly. Improv well, Olympic. The originator of Improv Olympic, and he started these teams all over the world, I guess. And um, also began with Playwrights Theater and the committee in, mm -hmm. all in, in Chicago in the very and the not in San well I mean I meant the compass in Chicago at the University of Chicago and it's interesting that he would develop this these games because he was very when Second City got to be too successful he withdrew because he didn't think that it was meant to be like this mm. it wasn't meant to be like it, it, it was supposed to be like a folk theater right right a people's theater. A people's theater. Right. And not be an entity that was uh, successful. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, you didn't see it as that. Well, it goes back to what we're talking about with uh, network. Yeah. That woman sitting in the chair going, "What? where's my end of things as opposed to, what's your message? Yeah. You know, your message used to be that you were there to to to, uh, to propagate the socialist way of thinking and, 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 and the communist way of thinking. And, you know, we one person works for everybody. And then she comes in and says, what's my contract? And then what David Shepard's having a problem with is like, uh-uh, I'm not going to be part of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and... I don't know if you know this, but uh, uh, Michael Golding, 
uh, he has been asked to archive all of David Shepard's papers. And he had a Kickstarter to do that. Oh. And it failed. And it, he couldn't get it funded. Uh -huh. And this just happened last week. And in his not getting it funded, I'm being careful here because I, I want to get this right, because I think Michael listens to this. In his not getting funded, I felt like, I, I, how many people really know what David Shepard did? I don't think that people know how substantial it, it was. Right. I mean, he was of a, of a generation that, um, you know, after World War II, there was this thinking that everyone should have an opportunity to experience the arts. Right. That, that <laughs> there should be no elitist uh, uh, division between the people and the work. And that was part of his consciousness, I believe. You right. know, I mean, uh, even, I mean, even before like the hippie movement, this is more like a beat thing. Right. And um, and that you everybody should be able to do this, and and that was part of Improv Olympic taking it to everybody. And he took storefronts and yeah, and he he didn't he, they just didn't have one place. They took it all. Right. They took it to New York too, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. There was an Improv Olympic in New York, I believe in St. Louis. Right. He there was one here even before Sharna opened the one on. I mean, there was like a storefront one here. Here in L.A. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, he talked to Tom Tully and I about getting it, you know, he wanted to get this, like, pilot things going and have other people run them. Not pilot, like a TV pilot. Not pilot, right. no, 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 P programs, right. you uh -huh. know, like a like an outpost here and an outpost in San Francisco and whatever. And it just was like, uh, you know, there's no way I... I mean, I was working, and Tom Tully was working. We were all like super busy. What he, I'm sorry, what he wanted to do was probably closer to what's going on with comedy sports and theater sports. Exactly, right? Exactly like that. And um, but he did uh, successfully, uh, um, you know, with Sharna's partnership, uh, launch that one in Chicago, which right. was a you know, uh, it's been a tremendous success. It's interesting to me, though, uh, because, and this is something that's been written about, and I've talked to Sharna about it as well, and other people have mentioned it too, that David's drive and his commitment and focus made it so that there was, there was very little room to compromise. Right. And to make this thing evolve, because he had an idea of what that right, was. Right, exactly. And... And I, I get that. I understand uh -huh. that. But uh, I understand that, and at the same time, I feel like he's responsible for Second City as well. Of course. You know, he's really responsible for all those things. And it's somebody took that idea and, and went on to something else. And, and he seeds it and goes around and does other things. It's really interesting to me. Well, yeah, I mean, it's... it's uh he was, they had this reunion of uh, Playwrights Theatre Club in Chicago. Oh, recently? At, last year, a couple years ago? Last year. Uh -huh. Yeah, maybe the year mm -hmm. before. And, uh, a, you know, it was really fascinating. And he was a, a big part of that, helping along to that. Before Playwrights Theatre Club, there was no theater original theater in Chicago. Nothing. Isn't that interesting? Nothing. Right. And this is 19, we're talking like 1953. Mm -hmm. Between 1951 and 53. Mm -hmm. These were some actors from New York, some people from the University of Chicago, and David Shepard is at the very, you know, at the very beginning of this. Right. Doing new work. Right. That's the goal. Right. We in Chicago. In Chicago. Of all we places. don't have to be, you know, you just get, you know, the Schubert would have, you know, like whatever the uh, most whatever the recent play. tour thing, right. you know, whatever was going on in New York. There was nothing. And when you think about that, this is like so recent. Right. Compared to what, I mean, the last three Pulitzers have gone to Chicago playwrights. Right, exactly. Uh, exactly. And uh, it's. What a city. Well, Sheldon calls it, Sheldon Potankin calls it the risk capital of the world. New, I, yeah. New York is this, like, kind of, uh, you know, the old guard. Right. 
and Chicago has always been this place for experimentation, whether it's architecture or atomic bombs. Right, it's, right. it's a place where, where things, where invention is is welcomed. I believe that it was going back to architecture. I think it was the first high rise was there. Yes. And I think absolutely. that building is still up there. Yeah. It's kitty corner from uh, Macy's Marshall Fields. Uh, well, it's the Monadnock building. Oh, the Monadnock building was yeah. way down there, yeah, too. Yeah, it's way what down there. It's a gorgeous it's, building. It's extraordinary. The architecture in Chicago is just so The amazing. whole city is just so vibrant. I I love going back there. I could not move back there. I don't think I could move back. Well, I can't say I, I always fantasize about moving right. back. And then we last winter we were in Kansas City doing a play together. And, you know, I'm no coward when it comes to like facing winter but Chicago this was very bad and Chicago was like light years worse so <laughs> right you know, it's or the polar vortex be, or whatever that's called yeah, to be reckoned with I don't like it I don't like it I, I, I when I was there the other day when I was there in December the idea of oh look how look what the cute things you guys have to do put your scarves on and your shoes on and your boots on and you get your car warmed up and then brush your car off of snow and shovel the snow in order for you to get somewhere and before you even get somewhere you've just spent 20 minutes on your way toward getting right. somewhere and then when you get somewhere you've got to put your car somewhere and chances are there's not a place for you to put your car right. and then when you get to the place that you get to you then have to undo all the things that you've all the equip right. all the then exactly. put that somewhere right. and as opposed too, which I remember when I first moved out to LA, I went to uh, went back to Chicago and had lunch with my sister, and it was February, and I said, "Okay, well, I'm going to go now." And and I went, "I can't just go now. I have to put my scarf on and my, you know, right, exactly, I, all that stuff." Yeah. Well, that's you know, I mean, it, it, I I say to my kids, you know, Chicago makes you the the winters there make you make you know like a crabby face when you go out, you scratch your face up. And, you know, this is a lot more relaxing in terms of Botox. Uh, yeah. I also feel like needs. what went, the, the, the stereotypical, I've never met the stereotypical California, uh, Los Angeles actor. I have not. That guy that's always going, hey, what's happening? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, I don't, that doesn't seem like, I think actors are actors. And that, you know, it's... Uh, Kind of about the work, right? You know, I know plenty of people who are native Californians who are, you know, don't fall into any kind of, you know, sort of stereotypical Californian uh, thing. One of my favorite improvisers of of all uh, to work with and to watch is Lynn Marie Stewart. Mm -hmm. She's a groundling, uh, but she also worked with uh, uh, Funny You Should Ask and Off the Wall. And I'm trying to think of anybody else. Anyway, and she, you know, grew up and lived in California. And, but she is just one of the most uh, brave, risk-taking uh, improvisers I've ever known. And just, you know, so wonderful. It's lovely to work with different people. You know, it's like a jazz musician that goes in and just jams with somebody from, you know, East Coast style, West Coast style, do Chicago style. Do you find style. that when you do when you do improvise with certain people that that there are limitations that they have because they don't have the training that you have? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know. You know, occasionally, but but I have a great deal of trust in the it, you know, in moment to moment, so I right. don't worry about it too much. Yeah. I think, and I'm really there to be perfectly honest, to have fun, right? Selfishly, I mean, right. I'm probably the best audience you could have I on love stage. It. No, I mean, just to, you know, I mean, but just working, you know, I, I mean, if you're in a scene or not in a scene, and mm. just like, really, am there to be entertained myself and to laugh. I've had some people that I've worked with that I thought I will not work with you again. Well, uh, and I suppose that that's happened to me. You know, I mean, yeah. But just in general, what a gift. I love I love playing what with people. I do. Fun it right. is. I'm gonna to work tonight. What are you doing? Um the immediate theater with uh um Dan Castellaneta, Deb uh Lacosta, uh Jane Morris, um Lance Kinsey. Oh boy. Uh, and we've been doing shows, we've been workshopping at the at the, at the uh, Fanatic Salon. Fanatic, yeah. Mm -hmm. We've been workshopping we it's primarily a writers group improvisers who 
are writing, mm -hmm. and we'll go in and bring a scene. I, I was in grad school last semester, semester before last, and uh, and I would have these, you know, playwriting uh, class, um, and uh, I would bring in scenes that I would be working on, and we'd read a scene, and then who, the actors who were reading the scene then would take the characters to another location completely and just behave as a jumping off point from that scene. Got it. And it just opens doors. I mean, right. not that you use it literally, but you see if these characters in this circumstance have the staying power to sustain other scenes and other events. Right. And it's very interesting in terms of writing. It seems that that would allow it, you, if you have uh, sitcom ideas, where you could take that, or yeah, movie or anything. ideas. Right. A any right. Anything that you're working on, for, for me at the time, uh, it, it was so valuable to, first of all, to make sure that it, was, it, that it worked, because right. these are actors, not playwrights in grad school who are reading your material in a workshop. Right. It, a way different uh, take on the material, so it really gives you a better idea of what what's going on. At, but but also feedback is so important, right. you know, because you get to see if this character could evolve. Or when you say feedback, what you mean is interaction between the characters? But, but interaction, but everybody's feedback. Everybody Got it. in the workshop, you know, right? Uh, you know, people's take on whatever. Does this work? Mm -hmm. You know. Uh, it, is it authentic? How do we feel about this character? It's right. just very valuable. Uh, Gellman, Michael Gellman did this uh, thing. It's called. off of his workshop. Oh, is it really? Yes, it is. Ah, I it's love it. It's off of Gellman's workshops. In fact, right. we do these uh, a series of scenes that's off of Michael's. Uh, yeah, yeah, his book process. That's off of Michael's a uh, 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 thing that he does in his workshops, which is a town called Henry. Right. And we'll get a bunch of locations, and right. then we'll just do just. Di Whoever we are, mm -hmm. character, just in this environment, and we just I love go. it because yeah, that's really that's fun. how I Michael was uh, I know Michael as a director of the Seed Show at the Organic Theater probably prior to knowing him as a director at Second City ah. because he had Deb and Dan come in uh -huh. he had Michael Miner who was writing for the Reader he had a woman that was a poet and somebody else but it was the cast was Charlie Hartsock do you know Charlie mm -hmm. Charlie. And Carell uh -huh. and um, Judy Nielsen, uh, who is an IO, an improbabilistic person, um, and uh, and me and a couple other people, and these writers would come in with a premise. We he would we would improvise for them. He would they would write it down. Mm -hmm. Then another writer would come in with a different premise. Another exactly. writer would come with a different premise, and then they'd go off, write the thing, bring it back a month later. We would improvise it. Michael would say, "What more could we do to this?" They would they wouldn't it's, tape it, but yeah. But I mean, it's exact. That's the, and and I think these guys also did Jeff Sweet's workshop. Yes, the summer workshop. Yes, in in, uh, in Martha's Vineyard, right. I think, or in the Hamptons. Right. I forget. Yeah. yeah right. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. And right. they and. It's a core of people, groundlings and, um, and Second City people. It's really it's phenomenal really how things have grown. It really, really is. And the more you, you think about what Bernie used to say is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, improv is a pathway to get to a product. And for, for Dell to say, no, it's a process that gets to a process. And to watch the process is, is enough to, to watch it. Uh -huh. and, and everybody's right. Yes, exactly. Because as a tool to um, to open your thinking, right. it, it's invaluable. It's amazing. And as an entity in and of itself, it 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 also is very satisfying. As a life entity, as yeah. a way to live your life. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it's interesting now to see every, you know, every young actor has to have some improvisational experience on their resume it's it's mandatory right and uh, and you know you'll get, you'll get called for an audition and people will say well just bring whatever you are feeling to this right. you know, that's what it says here but just feel free to uh, you know just open it up right 
and they have the confidence to go, I know what you're talking about. And they have the confidence to say, there is no right, there is no wrong. You're asking me, you, the casting director or whatever, the producer, you're asking me to take what it is, own it, and then build upon it. Right, yeah. And that confidence, because a lot of what I do is just say, is, is to hear people talk and to hear how they doubt themselves and then to steer them toward language for themselves mm -hmm. that helps them have confidence in right. themselves. Right. And I think that, that improvisation brings that to you with the idea of you cannot be wrong. And the only time that you can be wrong is by looking at something that is a mistake and calling it a mistake as opposed right. to calling it a gift. Yeah, yeah. And letting that be yeah. where it, it guides you. Well, we had so much fun, George. And George is like a little shy about improvising, you know, going to Ireland mm -hmm. to, to do the, the Cat Laughs Festival. And uh, so he was taking Jeff Milchowski's workshop, mm -hmm. uh, you know, several Saturdays before we left. And then when we got there, um, we thought we were going to improvise with these uh, guys from the UK, uh -huh. two guys that are on uh, Whose Line in the UK, mm -hmm. and uh, these Irish guys. And we went to see the show, and it was, you know, uh, respectable and funny, and that. <laughs> but but it was very much the games, right? And it was, and my feeling was that they had taken way too many suggestions, and that the games went on too long, uh -huh. and they were repetitive. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I mean, in planning a running order, we would, like, I'll work with Off the Wall, my, like, long-running improv group here in Los Angeles. Um, on uh, July 11th, we'll do a show in NoHo. And planning a running order, you would never do two games where people are standing in a, in a row. Right. You would never right. do that. Right. It would be a game, a scene, a game, or whatever. This was like a, a lot of presentational game kind of stuff. Right. Which was, you know, I mean, they did a very nice job. Uh, but when they talked to Michael McCarthy about who, our... Who ran the program, who, who runs who the show. Who pulled this whole thing together. Right. Part of one of the... Produ the American producing right. uh, force for the improv actors. Mm -hmm. And um, when... They were, we were supposed to exchange different members were going to work with each other, for example. Swap out the UK the, people. Exactly. Right. And when we saw their show, then afterward, Michael talked to them and said, well, we weren't planning to do this kind of short form. We're planning right. to do something long form. Right. We're going to take it down a notch. We're going to slow it down. Mm -hmm. We're, it, this is going to, what we would like to do is, would, would be more like jazz. And um, they did not want anything. They did not how, want to be. Wow, how did, that, how did that display itself? What did well, they say? They well, just said, uh, yeah, we don't feel comfortable about with that. And, and so that's fine. Wait, 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 like, let, me just, let me just dig a little deeper into that. Why do you think they didn't feel comfortable with that? We'll be able to form that they're not used to. And there, there, there's nobody who is doing long form there right. at all. I think, I think Beltzman said that, well, too. Beltzman was teaching some workshops. At, I think he taught some in Ireland, and I know he taught some in the UK. Right. And Scotland, too, when he was over there doing uh, uh, Reanimator. Mm -hmm. um, but, and, like, long form is not... George is my background, really. I oh, mean, okay. even though Dell did it first with our workshops, mm -hmm. and George was not a Dell person; he's a Josephine person. Josephine Forsberg. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm a Dell person. Mm -hmm. the, we were once known: Danny Green, uh, uh, Rob Riley, myself, Noni. We were known as the invasion of the Dell people because <laughs> we had come. We didn't work with Josephine; we just worked with Dell. Right. And Josephine was more games. Josephine was more, but closer to Viola's work. Much closer, right? And, and very, um, uh, very uh, uh, good in terms of building ensemble confidence. Josephine, and all that Josephine. Yes. Dell, not so much. No. no. Dell is all about really the funny. To be perfectly honest, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, at that time, uh, at that time, right? Um, he evolved later. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that half of the people that would be in the workshop would be there because their therapist told them that it would 
really be something that would help them with their fear of crowds or whatever. Uh, but anyway, we who became the reification company were known as the Dell people. Um, so I don't know where I was going. Uh, I, I was talking about like the the depth of what oh, it was they were doing. But like. Dell did do um, he did do heralds with us, mm -hmm. and he did the word games. You know the word association games. Yes. Didn't you guys do a scene that was the a scene that was. Uh, spies. Yes, two spies, and two it was spies, a word game. And that's the word game. Yeah, it that's, was a word game. That's Dell. It was, yeah, an expansion of Dell's word game. Great. Exactly. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, I don't know that, but I mean, he would have uh -huh. us do these word games, uh -huh. and then have us do the Herald, which right. was not. Oh, it's a word a association in order for you to open up your minds yeah, yeah, to yeah. do that. Yeah, and, right. But but it was before the Herald, and always right. the Herald thing was always you took his suggestion of something in life, why must I? For example, why must I pay taxes or why must I do this? And out of that you would a number of different pilot scenes would evolve and then you would it would come to some resolution. And it was really, you know, a scene building right. uh, exercise. Right. It's uh, the idea of uh I just don't know because I, I'm, I'm planning on going to Europe this fall uh -huh. and working with people in London and working with people in Dublin and perhaps people in Limerick and in Paris as well. And to work, I, I'm, you know, right now we're in the planning stages. But looking at that, and Beltsman said to me, they're, they're not doing what it is that we're doing here, which is the long form. And I feel like um, I get that, that idea of, no, 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 I can't do that. I can't do that. I, I won't do that. I won't do the long form. And I'm thinking, okay, I get it, but I don't get it because I feel like, why not try it? Well, I think that, um, uh, you know, there, I used to have this feeling about uh, part of long form <laughs> and that I thought it was lazy. I thought that you didn't have to take responsibility for moving the action forward. In other words, you know, there, there's no beginning, middle, and end so, sometimes. And I thought my own personal, like, commitment to the scene that I think, you know, that has as much to say sometimes a scene can as, say, a full-length play. Right. And, and I think that, uh, you know, my feeling was that the players don't have to have the discipline to know the beginning, middle, and end of a scene. Mm -hmm. They can rely on the openness of uh, of the Herald, of the other players, because you're all doing this together. And so s things don't get resolved. I don't have a problem with it anymore. Got it's it. just apples and oranges. It, you know, yes. it doesn't matter. And it's also the person that's doing that are... <laughs> Lately I've been thinking, lately I've been teaching people about this. I don't care how you open the scene. I don't care about getting out the who, the what, and the where at the, mm -hmm. the scene. I don't care about the game in the scene, whatever that is. I don't right, care right. about that. Yeah. What I care about is, are you committed and listening to the person that you're with? Exactly. At some point during that scene, one of you is going to say, I can't believe we're having this discussion in a doctor's office. Great, because that way, the scene is not about the doctor's office. The scene is not about anything no, but about the behavior. The relationship. Exactly, yeah. the relationship, yeah. the behavior yeah. between two people. And I, I think that there's a lot of people who, who feel like, oh, we've got to get the who, the what, and the where out, and then how do we get to the relationship? And that's where these big things come in, where somebody will say, oh, I'm so glad that you, you came over to my house. I know that your house is on fire. I know that you're an astronaut, and you're coming here. And by the way, um, I ran over your dog. And, and the running over the dog part is, is the part where we go, it's got to be dramatic. But if we start with the drama in the beginning, where I'm looking at you and I'm getting something from your shape right now mm -hmm. and saying, okay, you know, stop, stop looking at me like I have all the answers, Beatrice. You know, that sort of mm -hmm. scene, because that's the way you're looking at me in that moment. We're hitting it right away. Right. And that's what uh, <clears throat> TJ and Dave do. Absolutely. And, that is, and that's the thing that is richest to explore. Clearly. And does it take any more... Uh, does it take a any more courage? I don't think it takes any no, more courage. No, it just takes trust, though. That's it. Does it does really take but trust. But isn't, isn't the basis of, tr of courage trust? Absolutely. But, but I think that when someone looks at, like, a game and, you know, you know it has, you know, it has a certain end. Yes. Oh, yeah. So that that is, y you can 
trust in that. Yes. And you can be bold within the context of that. Yes. You, but the other requires a different kind of openness and discipline. I think that when it comes to the game, that game where it's like, okay, two people get up there. What's going to happen is sometime near the scene, when yeah, someone's yeah, going to yeah. ring a bell, and when yeah, they yeah. ring a bell, they're going to go to yeah, 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 yeah. this. Yeah. Right? That, I feel like, okay, there's something immediate about that and you know, lovely. It's, a, it's in a very compact, compressed, pressurized parameters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there is a beginning, a middle, and an end to that. And, the, and I feel, for me, that is that push, that's... I don't need, I don't, it's too much. It's too much pressure. Not, and when I say pressure, what I mean is like, it's not that I can't handle it, it's that I feel stifled. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's also the end result is humor. Right. And laughter. And I don't, I'm, and I know that, well, when you do your, your group with Tom and everybody else, right, right. when you do that, laughter is the major thing. A- absolutely, but, but I don't think that anybody ever thinks of that. I mean, I just think, you just let whatever happens happens, and not sure. worry about it. And I and I play with Archie Han is one of the funniest human beings that has ever lived, and but 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 there's also Paul Wilson who's a former committee guy and who is just like organically a slow improviser. Absolutely, he never goes for the joke or what's funny. Right, he absolutely has the most unbelievable integrity and commitment moment to moment. He's like Avery. Yes, he is. Well, Avery had Avery a, Avery, Avery had a, uh, a big influence on him, but so did Severin. Right. Uh, they, they were, <laughs> so, well, when I first got out here, I used to... Severin Darden. Severin Darden. I used to be... I'm just such a slut. I worked with every group and did every workshop... Anne Bowen had a workshop mm-hmm. at the Improv. Roger Bowen's. Roger Bowen and wife. Roger Bowen was in the workshop as mm-hmm. well. So it was Anne Bowen, Roger Bowen, myself, uh, uh, um, Severin Darden. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what's his name? He wrote Force Majeure. Uh, Bruce. Uh, oh God, he wrote some other. A couple of other movies, and his girlfriend, Robin Menken. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of who else. Mina Kolb uh-huh. and Paul Wilson, and, my, and it was just like, here I am working with these guys that were in the, the original uh, company, right. and even they were in playwrights. Right, right. So it's like, right. It's like if this is Jesus, I'm like working with Paul. I mean, I'm better than Paul. It's like. Uh, Peter and John and right, right, you know right. all of those. Paul Saul Paul. Paul, Paul Saul Paul. Right. And um, it it, uh, it Severin was also one of the most unpredictable. What am I? Improvisers. Right. And here's the thing: I always thought, you know, Dell has this reputation for being so. I, I, I talked to you about this before. He has this reputation for being, you know, this bohemian, this like eccentric, and I think he had to work at it. However, Severn was born that way. Right. He was just like one of the most unpredictable and funny people ever. Wasn't it also in regards to Severn, Severn also grew up with money and not that struggle? Am I getting no that right? No struggle right. at all. And, and so when, when Absolute privilege. Absolute privilege. So when you grew up with absolute privilege, which is opposite, not opposite, but so different than what Dell grew up with, right. which was struggle in Oklahoma, and, and well, Severn grew up in... Kansas. Kansas, pardon me. Yeah. Kansas. And Severn grew up in Louisiana, you know, New Orleans, with this, right? With this southern privileged life right. of just you know, dotage and right. ease. And, and bringing that out here, too. And he just always had that. Right. He, he was like life's guest. He was life's guest. Oh, my God. I say that about George, too. I mean, my, my husband, who, he, he, he owns no clothes. Everything that he owns is like came from some gig or swag. And they just drive the, you know, the... Nike truck up to the car house and drop off some shoes for him. I mean, he doesn't even know. He moved into my life with uh, a Volkswagen uh, that had a Rolls Royce front and a 17-inch black and white TV, and that was it. I go, honey, you don't even know where towels come from, do you? 
no idea. <laughs> you don't even know where towels come from. But your husband's life's guest. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Let's stop there. All right. That was really good. Oh, my God. I could talk to you for hours. Today's episode was sponsored by Italian-based blues band Veronica and the Red Wine Serenaders. Winner of the 2013 European Blues Challenge. For more information on their new album, The Mexican Dress, you can go to their website at www.redwineserenaders.it. And now the summer is going away, like your daddy is going for good. I never felt so dark gone down, I wanna is my word and mine. I have a simple cue for my soul. Free my mind, my heart, and I know my dancing shoes are red and shine. I wanna boogie all over tonight, and I'm gonna dance this blues away. Like the bridge, you're gonna let me sway. Hold my hips, grip me tight. We'll live our dream, and I'm in summer night. I'm gonna wear that Mexican dress, put some flowers in my hair. Silver rings, red lipstick, there'll be a party downtown tonight. There'll be a party downtown tonight There'll be a party Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy for Dave Rosowski. I'm Ian Foley.